Black culture feeds fashion, but fashion doesn't always feed black creatives. I mean, only 7.3% of American fashion designers are black. So McDonald's is pairing five rising black designers with five fashion insiders for career-changing mentorships and the access they deserve. Because we can do better than 7.3. Together, we can change the face of fashion. Follow their journey on Instagram at wearegolden. Statistics source from Zipia.com as of 2021. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control your own body and get the health care everyone needs has been stolen. And now politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common sense policies that protect your right to control your own body and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, you can help reclaim your rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. Ladies, chicas, bonitas, senoritas, women of the day and night. Ooh, okay. Greetings. I'm Sam Sanders. I'm Saeed Jones. And I'm Zach Stafford, and you're listening to Vibe Check. This week, we are giving you some hot takes, fresh Ooh. off the press like or whatever. You yeah, like I know. New. It's, All not we are is a it's not hot new. Take. <laughs> Megan the Stallion, who we stand, love, have always stood up for on this show, released mm-hmm. a song called Hiss. In it, she has a line, which we'll dive more into, but it's allegedly a a punch. It's a hit, or whatever we're going to call it, a rap battle moment with Nicki Minaj, her arch nemesis. And Nicki Minaj has responded in ways that have become a bit too stereotypical of Nicki Minaj. We're going to talk a lot about that (laughs) in the the history. Nicki gonna Nicki. (laughs) Nicki's gonna Nicki. Nicki. But we're going to talk about that and just the state of the rap beef and, and what it meant and what it means now and what Nicki should be doing with her time instead of this. After that. Speaking of what people should be doing with their time, we're talking about the Democrats and the increasing (laughs) pressure they're having by the general public, including black preachers, to have, let's say, a better handling of the fallout from Israel and Hamas's war, specifically, and really doing a better job of calling for a ceasefire. We're going to talk a lot about that and how it's going to impact the next year. And we're going to talk about how Nancy Pelosi is back in the headlines. Oh, yeah. She's going the crib. She's back. She's back. Yeah. Super chill episode this week. Yeah, Nicki Minaj, <laughs> war, genocide, <laughs> and the black church. Like, you yeah. know, like just a, just a dash. With the dash of Aunt Nancy on top. <laughs> Aunt Remember Nancy. when she Lord. wore the kente cloth Ooh. and kneeled in the Capitol? Who uh, could forget? Hey. Shenanigans. <laughs> Shenanigans. Shenanigans. Well, before we do all of that... Labor, I'm going to call it that's labor <laughs> to get through all that. I want to check in with my sisters and see how we are all doing. So, Sam, how are you doing? Tell us about Wesley, who I see all oh, over your Instagram right now. All and I over. hear his jingle now on the episodes, which are, is really, really lovely. <laughs> he has taken the world in my heart by storm. He's settling in just fine. Every day he's more happy in the world, which I love. We have yet to start the formal puppy training because I'm like, I'm going to give you two or three weeks to just break in. But baby, it's coming. Okay, it's coming, but he's good. But my biggest vibe this week, I was having a conversation with a friend after watching the SNL this past weekend that featured Dakota Johnson. She's actually really fun. Dry sense of humor. She's the one who took Ellen down. Oh, Mm -hmm. an icon Mm -hmm. legend. Mm -hmm. But she has bangs, and she's had bangs for a long time, and she's probably one of the biggest wearers of bangs in the industry. I was talking to a friend about the episode and her bangs, which I love. And my friend was like, you know what, Sam? You got bangs, too. Uh, you what? And I was like, excuse me? They're like, you got bangs. And so we're talking. And she was like, you'll remember 
you shaved off your beard and got a mustache right around the time your mother died and you and your boyfriend broke up. And I said, what? You got mouth bangs, girl. (gasps) I got mouth bangs. I got the equivalent of bangs for a bald gay man with facial hair. Oh, my God. And so ever since then, I've just been like, oh, shit. Have I actually been in my bangs era for the last several months? And you know what, dear listener? <laughs> I think I have been. It's like it's like white gay men bleach Blonde their hair. Bleach <laughs> blonde. Yes. Like black yes. gay men get a mustache. Get a mustache. <laughs> In my bangs era. I also think it's like brown men too because I have a Mexican friend who recently posted who is always I think going through a breakup or something and he said I'm sorry to report that there will be a mustache now and I was like oh <laughs> she is going through yes. it <laughs> mustache is bangs for gay men uh, so then I'm like alright I love this idea let's run with it and I'm like alright if I'm in my bangs era what does it mean when we think of like women after a breakup getting bangs what are they doing they're saying to an unfortunate event where things kind of went out of their control, they're saying, oh, there are some parts of life in me that I can control. Uh I can control my body. I can control what I Mm -hmm. do with it. And this is actually empowering. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so easy for us to look at the trope of bangs post-breakup or a blonde dye job post-breakup as trite and petty. But to quote Auntie Maxine, you're kind of reclaiming your time Mm -hmm. and you're reclaiming your body and you're reclaiming your autonomy. So I'm like, all right, if I'm in my bangs era, what does that mean? Yeah. And it kind of means making choices that help me live the life that I want to live on my face and everywhere else. So yeah, in my bangs era. I'm into I hadn't era. really thought about it so deeply, but yeah, it's like after a breakup, one of the things you're doing is like trying to see yourself, trying to like yes. see yourself more clearly. Who am I? What yes. have I been doing? And of course, anytime we change a hairstyle, you know, whatever, it it refocuses your attention. You know what I mean? And that kind of sharpens like the picture. So yeah, I guess it makes sense. Okay. Yeah. In my bangs era. I also love that this is presenting a more like self-care radical positionality to dramatic haircuts. Being like, no, this is about reclaiming my power. It's about autonomy. Yeah. It's about agency. Who could have yeah. foreseen that Dakota Johnson would get us here? You know? Yeah. Like, Listen, wow. Dakota, right. we thank you. <laughs> We thank you. So yeah, that's my vibe in my bangs era. Also, my vibe is so excited. We're going to kick off a series on Vibe Check very soon called Hey Sis. And for about two months, the three of us are going to be interviewing Black women we love. First up will be a chat that I have with Audie Cornish, CNN and NPR journalist who we all love. I can't wait to share it with y'all. So my vibe is also happy to share that. Listeners, the first episode of Hey Sis, a Vibe Check series, debuts next Monday. Be sure to check it out. Put a calendar reminder, okay? So excited for that conversation and the series at large because I would say the series is another example of us, you know, reaching into our phones and pulling in our dear friends who are doing amazing work and really Mm -hmm. sharing some special connections. And you and Adi have always been so connected. When I was like a NPR lackey there trying to get my own career off the ground, you two were kind of the example of what I meant to be Black journalists working at a high level. So I'm excited to hear that conversation very soon. It's going to be good. Saeed, how are you doing? My vibe is, is everyone okay? Is, is, are are <laughs> Wait, the girls? No. The, the no. head turn that Saeed no. gave when he delivered that line was poetic. Are we good? Like, like just as, I, I mean, this is just one example, but I'm seeing this everywhere. My friends Ellen and Tanya, we're in another group text. And they were talking about how, I guess, like the... The Twitter account for Elmo just tweeted, and you know, like a like oh, big oh, social yeah. media accounts do, like, hey, just checking checking Check in, in how's how everyone doing? doing. And so many people replied, like just like Not trauma well. dumping <laughs> on this on Elmo. red hairy child that the Sesame Street account actually had to like post like mental health resources. Yeah. And what? I'm like, what's going yes. on? I didn't know it went that far. Oh, it went that far. They oh, were like, yeah. um, <laughs> oh no yeah. like this isn't children's account yeah. like this is actually like not yeah. funny so there's a headline from business insider that reads elmo checked in and asked how everyone's doing and probably wishes he hadn't 
<laughs> yeah, and here's the follow-up. Wow, Elmo is glad he had, because Oscar had to get into it. Look, I'm mm-hmm. telling you, Sesame Street was like all hands <laughs> on deck. <laughs> um, but one of um, Elmo's replies, wow, Elmo is glad he asked. Elmo learned that it's important to ask a friend how they are doing. Elmo will check in again soon. Elmo loves you. Hashtag emotional well-being. I Y'all got that. this baby stressed. <laughs> and for the record, all Elmo tweeted was, quote, Elmo is just checking in. How is everybody doing? That's all this child said. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh-huh. here's my thing. Just, just like we went from Dakota Johnson to, to yeah. like self-actualization. <laughs> <laughs> the thing with Elmo is I've been thinking a lot, like this is one of my theories when I'm walking around my apartment talking to myself because I'd be having a good one-sided hey, conversation. Same girl. <laughs> and I've been thinking about like, like physics and the, the concept of displacement because mm-hmm. energy cannot be created nor destroyed, right? Mm-hmm. You, you can change it, you can convert how it uh, manifests or you displace it. And I just feel like, I mean, both with our segments today, whether we're talking about pop culture, the realm of Nicki Minaj and making these, well, these are, these are pop stars, <laughs> but like, like there's a sense of war to it, right? Mm-hmm. And then obviously, quite literally with Israel and Gaza, you know, war, genocide, and then how it all, not just what's going on in Gaza, but, you know, whether you want to talk about campuses, you're seeing mm-hmm. it spill over, of course, into Black church politics. Like, it doesn't end. And I just yeah. feel mm-hmm. that th- there's this energy out there. We are all aware that some really heavy shit is going on. And whether mm-hmm. we want to accept it as our issue or responsibility to address, we do feel the energy. And so I'm just sensing like displacement where there's like a disproportionate intensity. Even Greta and Margot being snubbed by the oh, Oscars, yeah. which, you know, frustrating, annoying. I think Greta in particular obviously should have been yeah. nominated for Best Director. But then you've got Hillary Clinton tweeting about it like it's actual oppression. And I'm like, what's going on? And like, feminist Hillary Clinton wants to take up the case of these two very privileged, rich white women and not talk about women in Palestine? Yeah, yeah. Like, don't get me started? My sense is that, like, even, like, a, you know, a sweet, harmless tweet from Elmo (laughs) turns into something else because I just think we've got a, I'm going to say guilt Mm -hmm. or maybe animus that we maybe all aren't kind of processing, acknowledging, and more importantly, working to solve. And so, yeah, in the meantime, all of that's going to be spilling out in very yeah. chaotic ways. That's my Well, theory. and also, the Elmo stuff is proof to me that not enough Americans are seeing mental health professionals on a regular basis. Because <laughs> if you got to make a tweet from Elmo, your therapy session... <laughs> Girl. Listen, sometimes it takes, right. a, it takes a small thing to really release some of it. You know, for uh, you, yeah. Sam, was bangs... For the rest of the world, it was Elmo checking in. <laughs> I know, we all, it just it sometimes. The girls are going through it. Yeah, they are but you're right. Elmo is yeah. not on the clock. Elmo's not on the clock. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Zach wants to revive. Well, I will say this I have not been well. <laughs> <laughs> See, look, look at us. Look at us. Not been Look well. I, in typical me, you know, I got back from Sundance. I was like, oh, this cough is just a little thing. It's not a thing. Oh. It's just a cough. Mm. And that cough has become like, I didn't leave my house for days. Did you get Craig sick? One of us got each other sick. We don't know who, where it but began, chicken sick. or egg, but we're both sick okay. and we love each Aww. other. And I'm glad we could take care of each other together because <laughs> if he was out in these streets while I was stuck at home, there would have been a fight. <laughs> there would have, I, I was, it was the moment I looked at him, I was like, thank God you are sick because I would be pissed. If you I mean, so, <laughs> so much is going around. I mean, I know people who are sick and they think they have COVID and it's the flu or yep. or vice versa. It's, um, oof. Yeah. I'm feeling better. And what's interesting when you're really offline is you get to see what really punctures through the culture. But the one thing I will mention that I love that also punctured through was that Taylor Swift will be going to the Super Bowl. And I do not care if you don't believe that this relationship is real or not. I love the fantasy. I love the Delulu of it all, the ridiculousness. (laughs) And I'm going to be tuned in for this uh, romance that's going to be happening. I didn't know people were like actually mad about it. I thought people were like like, annoyed. The They're right mad. wing thinks that she's like a liberal op. Which <laughs> for, to like, for what? For what? For football fans into liberals. <laughs> if no one's been following this conspiracy theory, which is like so ridiculous, the idea is that she was a plant 
and that the NFL has been on her side and that this is all tied back to Biden's 2024 play and that the Chiefs are going to win, <laughs> Taylor's going to get on the field and they're going to endorse Biden and then Biden's going to win the election. Oh and I'm just like, girl, God. that's not how any of this works. Like that is well, so gonna be silly. Like, where, they're going to be like, Travis Kelsey, where are you going, you know, for, you know, exactly. after you win and she'll just go interrupt and be like, four more years. <laughs> like, this doesn't make any sense. What? <laughs> Let me tell you something. The only thing that I'm looking forward to out of this relationship is the breakup album. I mean, you it's, know it's going to be a banger. I, you know. It's going to be earth shifting if that happens. I really, I don't yes. want it to happen because it's going to be a lot. Well, because Travis Kelsey will make a comeback album. I was about to say, you to know Taylor's he's going to try to put out like a rap mixtape. Oh, God. <laughs> this, is, this is giving too much Britney Spears and Kevin Federline when he put out a rap uh, album. Dark. It's awful. Yeah. Like, this yeah. is not. Oh, bad vibes. So the vibe for all three of us is not well, bitch. We're, not well, <laughs> we're banged up. Um, <laughs> we're sick. <laughs> Crawling across this finish line called Girl. doing a show. <laughs> and still we rise. And we, still we rise. Oh my God. All right, Hallelujah. listeners, before we get into this episode, I want to thank all of you who sent us fan mail. We do read it. I really loved all the emails about cultural stagnation. Really oh, smart yeah. listeners, really smart takes. Thank y'all for all of it. We read every single one. Reach out to us all the time, whenever. Social media, email. For email, we are at vibecheck at stitcher.com, vibecheck at stitcher.com. And also leave us a review of this podcast when you can. Okay, with that, Let's uh, jump right in, shall we? Let's do it. I am so excited to use this segment to flash back to a time in my life when I wore baggy starched jeans and followed rat beefs as if I were a straight man. Baggy starched <laughs> jeans. I used such starch. a specific image. And I, I know used exactly to starch. what and you're talking crease, about. You know that uh -huh. crease? Oh, yes. Yeah. Mm. And it's like also like not as Y2K as the kids are doing Y2K. It is very like 90s Y2K. It's, it's pre-Y2K. Yeah. This was like yeah. the first iteration of Juvenile and the Hot Boys, mm -hmm. Cash Money Records, they were yeah. starting those jeans. Yeah, FUBU Anywho, was huge, all that. Yes, I have digressed. We're here to talk about a starched impressed rap battle that has been trending for a few days now. If you haven't heard by now, Nicki Minaj and Megan Thee Stallion are fighting. And it's kind of making me sick to my stomach. It's a nasty beef. Before I jump into it and break down the details and who said what... I want both of you, Zach and Saeed, to give me your reaction to this battle in just three words. You get three words. <laughs> give me your three-word take on this battle, then we'll explain it all. Mine will be, what the hell? That's it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's yes. It. I like that. Because, like, why? All right, Saeed. Patriarchy needs enforcers. <laughs> Not the cops. <laughs> 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 explain that, explain that, explain well, that. Well, because, I mean, there's so much going on here, but it is really striking how straight-up misogynist yes. so much of this is. Yes. Though oh, there yeah. are not any men directly involved. There you go. The women are doing it. Yeah, yeah. And something I remember learning from a lot of, like, Black feminist thought was that patriarchy often kind of anoints women as enforcers, you know? And I think of, like, in a mm -hmm. lot of our families, like, for example the concept of the grandmother telling the young women in the family how to dress you or you, you know that. you yeah. be a real man and say like you know it's like you don't necessarily need men in the room for patriarchy to be thriving bam bam yeah. with that let's get into it i'm gonna try to explain this beef as quickly as possible <laughs> godspeed <laughs> i know let me get my tea and put myself on mute and watch this shit <laughs> <laughs> Chantel is going to add some clips and posts to allow you listeners to hear this stuff. But uh, let's go. Last Thursday night, Megan Thee Stallion released a track called Hiss. It calls out a lot of people in the industry, given the last few years she's had. She's been through it and not treated well by the industry, fans, etc. So she calls folks out. But there seems to be one line in this song, Hiss, that takes direct attack at Nicki Minaj and her husband. Megan raps. These hoes don't be mad at Megan. These hoes mad at Megan's law. I don't really know what the problem is, but I guarantee y'all don't want me story. Now, Megan's law is a law that's on the books that requires law enforcement to publish information about sex offenders so that people living around the sex offenders know they're there. 
And by Megan referencing this law, listeners said, oh, she's referencing Nicki Minaj's husband, who is, in fact, a registered sex offender. Nicki's husband, Kenneth Petty, served four years after a conviction of attempted rape for a 1995 assault on a 16-year-old girl. Also, Petty has served time for manslaughter in the first degree for Mm -hmm. killing a man in 2002. And just to reiterate, because you did a great job, Sam, but reiterate to those that are barbs mad, these aren't alleged things. These are actually convicted, convicted, served, registered. He is established. Like This is a thing. Well, and like even Nikki herself has acknowledged that these things have happened, but she always says he was really young when it happened and it was 30 years ago. I think he was a teenager, but I believe he was 16 at the time with the statutory rape. But 2002... Attempted come murder. Uh, yeah, that, come uh, or yeah. Not attempted yeah. murder, excuse me. First degree for killing a man. That was, that was yeah, fairly yeah. recent. Right, so. Yeah. right. So, Megan releases the song Hiss. It takes a crack at Nicki Minaj's husband's sex offender status. And then Nicki shoots back. She's queuing up the comeback track for like two days on social media, on her radio show. I think it was three. She was hyping it for a while. To be clear, it's like 72 hours, nonstop. Mm-hmm. Did she sleep? Teasing of this. like every she was arguing with the youths on TikTok. I saw her tweeting nonstop. I had to create it because I've been locked out of my Twitter account. I had to create a damn burner account because I'm like, well, Sam oh, and no. Zach are sleeping through <laughs> this chaos. Someone's gotta be yes. on the case. <laughs> so Nikki finally releases the response track to Megan's hiss. It's called Bigfoot. And from the title alone and the cover art, you can say, oh, it's inherently problematic because Nicki Minaj right here is making fun of Megan's body and how tall she is and how big her feet might be. It's vaguely, well, one, it's not nice to other women and two, it's vaguely transphobic. You know, it's and this this is why I actually don't like the word problematic. I'm like, no, it's not problematic. It's anti-black. It's anti-trans. And and I saw, you know, a black woman post. She was just like, imagine being a black woman accusing Mm -hmm. another black woman of looking like an ape. So there's that's one level to it. And then yeah, I think the the obsession of the idea that Meg is tall and thus less a woman feels anti-trans yes. to me. It, it's, yeah. Well, and it's a double entendre because as we know, Megan the Stallion a few years ago was shot in the foot by Canadian rapper Tory Lanez. He was convicted and is now serving time for it. But Nicki Minaj for a while has doubted the truth of Megan's story in that regard. So she releases a song called Bigfoot making fun of Megan's features and the violence that she endured. And there's one lyric that says, Bad bitch, she like six foot. I call a big foot. The bitch fell off. I said, get up on your good foot. Woo! She goes on to say, ho, the things you've lied about, even pertaining to your mom, you don't want them out, okay? She says, how you fuck your mother's man when she die? Then she says, how do you go on Gail Keen and can't cry? Swearing on your dead mother when you lie. Fuck, you got shot with no scar? Wow! I'm just so annoyed. And something that hit me as you were talking, because I was just singing the praises of, you know, one Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey's love that I, I'm into the Delulu of is, do you know who Nicki Minaj loves most in this world right now and always is Taylor Swift? Because Taylor Swift helped her start charting and she talks a lot about uh, it. And you know who's taller than Megan The Stallion? Taylor Swift. I just like oh, don't know uh, why Nicki, uh, to Saeed's point, the anti-blackness, the anti-womanness of this all that, like being directed at a fellow black woman who... Just a few years ago, you had a huge song with that you did, Hot Girl Summer. Uh, and yeah. like, how did it this happen? Together. So I guess, anyway, back to Sam. I'm just so confused. It's so weird. <laughs> to be clear, listeners, when I'm laughing, this is like stress laughter because I'm just yeah. like really it's put troubling. out by this. as anxiety laughter. Megan's rap name is Megan the Stallion. She is fully embraced her height like, and stature. And she's it. like, yeah, yeah, I am a woman. Can you handle it? So... In addition to the anti-blackness, the anti-trans kind of overtones of all this, making fun of someone when it's like, well, that's literally their rap name. So I don't think this is really a point of insecurity Mm -hmm. for Megan. But also, after months and months of months throughout the ordeal of the Tory Lane trial, Nikki was constantly implying that Megan was lying about being shot. And then it's like, but then you're making fun of her. Like, what is, what's going on? What is it? Yes. Yes. So that's just to catch you up on the songs themselves. But once these tracks are released, it gets even crazier 
because, as we all know by now, Nicki Minaj has a very strong relationship with her most intense fans who are called Barb's. And they oftentimes threaten to or do really nasty things on Nicki's behalf. Once these tracks are released, Nicki Minaj starts to retweet her supporters and the threatening tweets they're making towards Megan. And then eventually, apparently, some of Nicki's most diehard supporters figure out where Megan Thee Stallion's mother's grave is and start going there. And Nicki knows this and says nothing. What? This is where it leaves the realm of like a rap battle that we maybe can laugh at and admire from afar to a real world situation with real world consequences. And so stopping there with that catch up, I want to hear you both tell me what you're making of this entire situation. There's so much to unpack. And I want to talk about the efficacy of rap battles in our current modern era. But let's start with where I left off. The Nikki supporters at the grave of Megan's mom. What the hell? It's obviously incredibly vile. I can't even imagine supporting anyone desecrating someone I hated, even whatever, someone else's family that has passed away very recently too. It just it just feeds into this awful culture and standum that the Beehive also participates in at times. Others, of course, do. Two of other big stars. But it's just the the vitriol and the violence of fandom and this fact that like you have to take you know, these these artistic swipes, which there's a world, and, and there has been a world in the past where artists do make songs about each other and the battle stays there. And we see that across a lot of art. You see a lot of famous artists going head-to-head through their practice. You see this in voguing. Voguing as a dance practice is a battle between two rivals going against each other, but it stays there. But the fact that these fans and Nikki are pushing it outside the realm of the art practice and into a violent, you know, either physical altercation or desecration of someone's, you know, burial site. It's just really awful. And we've all lost the plot of all this. And it's all collapsing onto itself. So I just, I don't understand. I don't like it. I wish there was a world in which they just kept releasing songs like Jay-Z and Nas did coming at each other and not this way. And this is the thing that I want to talk about. But first, I want to get your take, Saeed. But after that, I want to put this in historical reference next to other rap battles, like the one between Nas and Jay-Z, which ended up just being lucrative for both of them and nobody was hurt, you know? Or Nicki and Remy Ma. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, hip-hop is, (laughs) despite what white people, you know, think and try to act like, hip-hop is a very actually rich, specific culture. And rap Mm -hmm. beefs are an important part of it. The diss track is an essential part of the form. And I would say, you know, to be a rapper and to not engage diss tracks and the freestyle and everything, it's kind of like if you were going to be a stand-up comedian and then not want to do crowd work or deal with hecklers. Yeah, it's just to. like, That's how you it's, do. It's, it's not, how it it's, goes. Yeah, it's not a bug, it's a feature. To me, so much of this is concerning, right? Obviously. Um, this is beyond the realm of the barbs are insane, you know, or this is just messy. I'm like, no, this is scary. This is toxic. This can lead to some really, you know, even worse outcomes. I'll say that. My thing is, though, it's also to me very damning that it can't be contained within the art. That there is this mm. spillover to threats. I saw, like, I saw one woman on TikTok, like, she's a lawyer, and she was getting doxxed by Barb's, and she was like, I'll just take this to oh, court no. and sue you. Like, th- th- this is, <laughs> like, team, have team, you team, lost team. it? Or, like, the gravesite stuff. Or, you know, I saw someone else, like, people are being chased off Twitter. To me, it reeks of like a kind of toxic insecurity. If you're mm. in a rap beef, and I don't even know if Megan would say it is. This actually does feel very one-sided. That's the other part mm-hmm. of it. Like she didn't even say Nikki's name in the song. There Megan's law implies to the entire state of California. And I'm going to tell you, there are a whole yeah. bunch of creeps in the music industry she yeah. could have been referring to, but Nikki took it so personally. And so I feel like, again, like displacement, this disproportionate response where it can't even be contained in the music. One tells me that the music isn't strong enough. You do not have enough faith in your ability as a lyricist and producer to just put it all in the music. You know, instead, it has to spill out into every other messy, toxic, you know, space. And we should point out here right now, this diss track from Nikki is one of the worst things I've ever heard from her in her career. Heard her? You can barely hear her. (laughs) Yeah, it's recorded badly, bad audio quality. 
It's lazy. It's rambling. She sounds unhinged in some disturbing ways. It's not good. And I say this to someone who thinks that Nicki Minaj is the greatest woman rapper, if not greatest rapper up on top of the list of the last quarter century. But this is trash. And this this diss track is trash and it comes in the wake of an album that was subpar for Nicki Minaj. Subpar. Pink Friday 2. So Pitchfork gave it a 6.5, which was really nice of them to do. But it has been <laughs> dragged. And there are some really yeah. good commercial boppy things. But, you know, it's not up of the level of like Nicki Minaj exactly. is a, a titan of rap. Yeah. And I want us to spend a little bit of time placing this rap battle in historical context. And I can't help but compare it to the battle between Jay-Z and Nas. This happened when I was like in high school and I remember how big it got and how much everybody cared about it. And the thing that stood out and the thing that still to this day haunts Jay-Z, uh, at one point in the rap battle, Nas says that Jay-Z looks like a camel. Called him Camel Face, Joe the Camel, and baby, it's stuck. It's These two are so friends mean. now, but it's stuck. But I find myself saying, all right, I'm okay with that. I loved the joke. I loved, like, like they're playing the dozens. They're making fun of your physical right. teachers. That's what rap battles are. And playing the dozens is a part of the Black vernacular and yes. experience. It's as old as the blues that, tradition. Absolutely. There you go. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder, and I want to talk about this, I'm okay when Jay-Z and Nas do it. Something about when it's happening from Nikki to Megan about the size of her body, it doesn't feel right. Why? I think if you situate it within the larger context of Megan, she spent the last few years having her whole body, physical, and both musical body, her artistic body, everything under deep attacks. Like No one was really standing up for her. You have people like Drake coming for her. As we've mentioned in the show, Drake is one of the most powerful artists of the past three decades. Like She's been alone. She's lost her mother. She's lost other family members. So to have these hits at her about her body, about the thing that she, I mean, Sam, we began this conversation about bangs and about the empowerment you're getting yeah. to take control of your body. And Meg has done a similar thing in the wake of the Tory Lanez trial that she's become obsessed with her fitness and really celebrating her body and getting back out there. So to have Nikki trying to rip all of that away by coming after her body and her mother, two things she's been so public about battling to reconcile with and also celebrate and find, you know, some type of peace around, it just feels so dirty on a level mm-hmm. that is not calling Jay-Z a camel when he was like, you know, top of the rap game and had the full agency to respond with all the resources of Rock Nation. So I, I don't know, it just feels yeah. desperate in a way. Yeah. I think, and this is why I said like, you know, patriarchy needs enforcers. Nikki started her career as a rapper at a point where whether it was reality, it was believed that there was only room for one woman in hip hop. Right. And so mm-hmm. she had to prove her mettle among the men. I'll never forget the first time I heard her verse on Monster, right? Where it was just oh like she God. is eating these men alive, right? And I think that was a defining trait of her career. And it makes me sad because so many of the qualities of Nicki Minaj at her best, embracing femininity, the pink, I don't love the color, color contact lenses, but but embracing <laughs> the, the bubblegum pink Barbie femininity, which obviously is very resonant for other reasons, right? Um, the theatricality, trying on the different voices and personas, unabashedly embracing and supporting her gay fans at a time mm-hmm. when that was not the case. Often rappers who developed that kind of following would distance it, even as recently, you know, as what, five or six years ago, Azealia Banks, mm-hmm. like that famous clip of her on The Breakfast Club, and it's kind mm-hmm. of lodged her as an allegation. Do you make music for gay people? And she's like, yeah. You know what I mean? So, so like mm-hmm. so much of what Nikki did, did feel, or at least had the possibility of being an antidote to the misogyny and the sexism that runs up and through hip-hop and that men like Jay-Z's creepy ass and Nas's creepy ass have benefited from. Unfortunately, though the potential was there, it soured. And now we look Mm. at Nikki 10, 15 years later, and my issue with Megan is that it's not just Megan. Name a Black female rapper that Nikki seems to get along with. I'll wait. Yeah, and so at some point you go, I don't think this is actually about Megan. I don't think this is actually about whatever perceived slight. This is your relationship with women, Black women, Mm -hmm. and your relationship with patriarchy. And a scarcity mindset around Black women in the industry. I think what we're seeing here is Nikki performing this idea that there can only be one Mm -hmm. and that she has to be the one. Mm -hmm. But what if there can be many? And I think 
there totally can be many, and I wish she would understand that or at least like accept it eventually. But it's also, I wish she could call Beyonce and have a real conversation and get some guidance on being like, you're a star. You are the sun in a galaxy. You don't need to, you know, sun Stop talking so much. Such, like, what, stop talking yeah, so much. Stop, stop talking so much. Why do you keep bringing up Iggy Azalea? I haven't talked about <laughs> Iggy Azalea in years, but yet she's on your album Pink uh, Friday 2 as a diss. Like, why? Leave her in Australia. Let it go. Like, let it be. And Nikki just doesn't let Who it does go. Beyonce diss? Nobody. Nobody. Beyonce's making Nobody. her money. Anywho, listeners, if you want to hear more beef and catch up on that Jay-Z and Nas beef that we referenced, Nas's verses in the diss track Ether are still pretty remarkable. But I was going back over yeah. them yesterday. Girl, the homophobia. He was making AIDS oh, jokes. Oh, I just can't. He was making AIDS jokes. I can't. Oh, yeah, it's all so homophobic, yeah. I was going to say, if you want a less homophobic diss track from the same time, go to Lauren Hill's Lost Ones. <laughs> yeah, There's that's a great yeah. <laughs> Okay, there we go. It's okay. There but again, go. I, I just have to reiterate this. And, and, and I also want to say, you know, like, it seems like a lot of the barbs are gay men. and <laughs> The loudest ones, at least. Yeah, and, and so there's something there for, I think, gay men to interrogate about our own misogyny, by the way. You know, that's mm. worth looking into as well. Because again, like go. I said, it's like, okay, maybe straight men aren't in the room creating this dynamic, but I'm like, gay men are, and women hating women are. So like, let's let's yeah. think about this. Mm-hmm. Ooh, we should start a rap battle with another podcast. Okay, get out. It's oh, time to rap. Marco Barbaro, you don't want none of Okay, I'm sorry. It's Wednesday. No, let's go. Let's yeah. go. <laughs> <laughs> we can battle Barbaro. The others, there are some people that I would not want to. So, you know, I'm going to sit here. (laughs) Listeners, let us know your thoughts on this battle and what makes a rap battle good or bad. Also, I'm liking this idea. Email us and tell us who we should podcast rap battle. (laughs) Just for shits and giggles. I already know. I'm not going to say. Yeah, see, and we'll lose. I'm Sam. scared. Yeah, we're, yeah, I know what the people are going to say. We would do So anyway, good luck. Email <laughs> us. Email us. Stay tuned. BRB. Here's an HIV pill dilemma for you. Picture the scene. There's a rooftop sunset with fairy lights, and you're vibing with friends. You remember you've got to take your HIV pill. Important, yes, but the fun moment is gone. Did you know there's a long-acting treatment option available? So catch the sunset and keep the party going. Visit PillFreeHIV.com today to learn more. Brought to you by Vive Healthcare. Sounds like you could use a break. Well, at least I could. And by break, I mean a Kit Kat bar. You know, growing up, my sister and I loved candy and we loved fighting over candy and the one candy bar that we loved to share was a Kit Kat. It was easy to break and it also had the best jingle. Kit Kats are one of my favorite nostalgic treats and they're still around and still so delicious. It is an immersive multi-sensory experience to eat one of these Kit Kat bars because of the auditory snap and crispy creamy texture and engaging design that compels you to enjoy every last bite. In a category of bars built to be mindlessly enjoyed, Kit Kats demand your attention. So have a break. Have a Kit Kat. All right, loves, we're back. And this next conversation was inspired by an article from the New York Times that was published over the weekend. The headline is Black Pastors Pressure Biden to Call for a Ceasefire in Gaza. You know, it was an interesting, you know, kind of weekend read, but also I think obviously has lit up some important conversations. So some details from the article. More than 1,000 Black pastors representing hundreds of thousands of congregants nationwide have issued the demand for a ceasefire. They're also calling for the release of hostages by Hamas and the end of Israel's occupation of the West. The coalition is actually pretty diverse. So, you know, you have more like conservative-leaning Southern Baptists as well as more progressive non-denominational congregations in the Midwest and Northeast. So, I mean, you know, and I was struck. I mean, 1,000 pastors, this represents like a lot of people in a lot of different communities. I'll just read two quotes 
from different pastors who spoke up. One person, Reverend Frederick D. Haynes, said, speaking of his congregation, what they are witnessing from the administration in Gaza is a glaring contradiction to what we thought the president and the administration was about. He continued, so when you hear a president say the term, redeem the soul of America, which is one of Biden's kind of refrains, this pastor says, well, this is a stain a scar on the soul of America. There is something about this that becomes hypocritical. And then just one more quote that felt relevant. This is from Reverend Barbara Williams Skinner, and she's part of a network that leads roughly 15 million Black churchgoers, because the scale of this call is part of what got Mm -hmm. my attention. This isn't just like 10 people on a Zoom. Barbara Williams Skinner said, quote, Black clergy have seen war, militarism, poverty, and racism all connected. Mm -hmm. I want to highlight one more quote, too. There's one more from that piece. So the Reverend Cynthia Hale said of the Palestinian people, quote, we see them as a part of us. They are oppressed people. We are oppressed people. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's it. And, you know, and I guess kind of to bridge to the bigger conversation. I mean, one, this is significant. This is thousands of Black people, Black church members in particular, but it's not just church members. I am not Christian. I did not go to a church. But so much of what these clergy people were saying has resonated with my own concerns about what's going on in Gaza. And so it's really interesting, given the Democratic Party's reliance on Black voters as a base. And I think it's fair to say that the power brokers often take Black voters for granted. And to see that, oh, we're moving to a really significant impasse. And one of those other clerky people, I'm not going to read the full quote, but he was like, at the very least, it's going to be very difficult to encourage our people to kind of turn out for Biden. Yeah. Well, and this is a thing, as someone who covered an election, it's always about turnout. So I think Democrats are making the bet. Biden's making the bet. Well, we know that most Black voters aren't going to support Donald Trump. So, okay, fine. That might be true. But what you might see happen is Black voters just not show up because they don't want to vote for you, Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a larger issue with younger Black voters and older Black voters. Every election cycle, it's a struggle to get young people to vote. And that holds true for Black voters, too. And I think what Biden's doing here right now with this war in Gaza is he is turning off an entire generation of young voters, particularly Black voters and young voters of color. Mm -hmm. And we should overstate here. I want to overstate here. This is not just a thing where Black America doesn't want to see this war happening. 61% of all America right now wants a ceasefire. Mm -hmm. The majority of the country wants a ceasefire, which makes it even more strange to see Joe Biden and Democrats, a party that says they want the things that real people want, you know, better wages, lower student loan debt, etc., You say you want the things real Americans want. Real Americans want this war to end. And you are not at all in lockstep with most of the country. Yeah. And why this is so important within the larger context of the 2024 election is this news came a week before the South Carolina primaries are beginning. And the South Carolina primaries are where Biden will be on the ballot. The DNC fought to make South Carolina the first over Iowa because of the Black population there and because Mm -hmm. of the religious community there. So for the religious community to come together this weekend in a piece in the New York Times and say, this is our demands, this is what we think. Because hours before, it was, look at all these Black pastors, they're supporting Biden. And then Mm -hmm. out of that reporting was, yes, but here's what they're holding his feet to the fire over. And what Mm -hmm. was really incredible to see through, if you really read this piece, because I know many people may have a lot of feelings about this because it may not fit exactly with how they're feeling about the situation. Um, What you should know is that these pastors all held interfaith prayers, you know, in the wake of the attack Hamas did on Israel. And we're really leading congregations for Israel because they see Israel as a holy land. Why this has come about now is that they're saying, you know, post 100 days, there's a lot of brutality happening. And this one group of people that are dying in mass, and we just need a moment to stop that because we yeah. are, we're wanting peace on both sides. And that's what these exactly. preachers are saying. Well, and like, we should talk more about, you know, this is bigger than just Biden as the figurehead of the Democratic Party being out of step with Black America and most America on Palestine and Israel. He isn't alone. Nancy Pelosi And John Fetterman have also been out here showing their ass on this issue as well, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, here's a quote from former Speaker Pelosi over the weekend on CNN, and she's speaking about 
protesters in general. She was not talking about the black group. She she may, she may be crazy, but she ain't that crazy. Um, <laughs> I'll be very clear. Um, but she was speaking about the protesters. She said, quote, for them to call for a ceasefire is Mr. Putin's message. Make no mistake, this is directly connected to what he would like to see. Mm. There's another Why article in the New York Times where former Speaker Pelosi is like asking the FBI to investigate protesters calling for a ceasefire. And as both of you have pointed out, Wow. It's actually much of the world is calling for yes. a ceasefire the and, of the and world wants much of the country. And here's the thing. I'm not trying to turn a war, a hostage situation, and a genocide into a what this means for Democrats into it. But to me, it just elucidates just a, some real pain points in our democracy. For example, mm. one of the largest Palestinian communities in our country is in Dearborn, Michigan. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to think about what it must mean and what it must feel like to be a part of the Palestinian American community, to have voted for Biden, and to know, frankly, how important the state of Michigan <laughs> is if you want to get into the electoral, you know, count and all that kind of stuff, to literally feel disenfranchised as family members, community members, loved ones are being killed, are being wiped off the face of the earth, and then kind of being mocked by liberals who say they have your best interest at heart. You know, I think to say to someone who's being directly impacted, like, Biden is going to protect us from Trump. Don't you, you know, want to fight against fascism? I'm like, they're dealing with fascism. Like, they're, this, is, this is not mm-hmm. an abstract debate for Palestinian people. Um, and so, I don't know. I, I think we're just seeing the way in which, whether I'm talking about Palestinian voters or like, you know, Black clergy people, Black people in South Carolina, I just feel this has been coming for some time. But the sense that a lot of voters of color are taken advantage of, or rather taken for granted. And the moment we say, wait a minute, actually, we do see the dots connecting. If I care about poverty and anti-racism, and I see that you're spending Mm -hmm. billions of dollars to fund this war, but Mm -hmm. you're not able to fund primary education, all these other important issues, yeah, that's something I care about. Suddenly, like the wisdom and intelligence of voters of color is thrown out the window. Yeah. What I find particularly insulting to people when they talk about it is the way in which Joe Biden will try to like talk out of both sides of his and his White House's mouth. On the one hand, they'll say, well, we, of course, want this violence to end. Of course, we support, you know, bringing down this drama and, and you know, we, we want less violence. Yet, America could kind of start to nip this thing in the bud tomorrow if they just stopped giving Israel money for weapons. Mm. Yeah. America's still doing it. And so it's it's like on top of Joe Biden being out of step with the majority of Americans at this point over Gaza and Israel, he's also pretending to not have as much power as he actually has. Mm, and I yeah. find that insulting. Don't play me, Joe. Don't play me. And I also I think we all can see what's going on in terms of like the wake of what happened. And, you know, there has not been, in my opinion, a very clear rationale given on why the brutality has to keep increasing, increasing. Because if you look at all the polls, Hamas is more popular than they've been in a long time in the West Bank. People Mm. are looking to this group, and and this is the exact opposite of what we wanted. This is not taking away Hamas. You know, the network is changing, it's shifting, and this tension is just continuing. So I think what these clergy members are saying is, you know, this brutal bombing, blanket bombing of everybody, it's actually making things worse. So like, and that's why I think we've seen this shift. So I think people listening to this episode very closely, it's just been incredible to see these preachers shift their position Mm -hmm. Because they're like, hey, this isn't working. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to take it back to 2018 elections, that's when we had the kind of white liberal, thank you, black women. Thank you, black oh, women, Lord. for saving us mm-hmm. in midterms. That dynamic, which didn't Don't start then. Don't have a single black woman's phone number uh-huh, in their phone. Didn't end then. That phenomenon, it's one, obviously, so racist and, and, and disrespectful. But it's also like, to your point, Sam, about turnout being so essential. What are we Mm -hmm. asking of Black voters, particularly in the South? Like, I have Mm -hmm. seen too much video footage of elderly Black people waiting in lines in states like Georgia, 
on the edge of literal exhaustion because they've been standing mm-hmm. outside without water, you know, waiting to vote. And and so the fact that it's not just turnout, but it's also like, what are we asking of voters who are already disenfranchised, who've had to deal with so much election interference? These are the voters who have to get out and put their necks on the line. And so I don't, mm-hmm. I actually don't think it's like a light matter for a Black voter in these disenfranchised states to decide if they're going to put up with it. You know, like, is it worth it to stick my neck out and to be out there and to deal with the harassment and humiliation that come from these fucking fascists to vote for Democratic leaders who ignore us as soon as the votes are tallied? Not just ignore, but think that just doing a little bit over there is enough. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of folks in Joe Biden's White House think that their movement on student loan debt forgiveness is enough, Mm. particularly because it disproportionately affects and benefits Black people. That's not enough. That's the start. And I want politicians to look at voters and voting blocks like black voters and not see them as one issue voters or a monolith, but say these are people who have several different kinds of needs that are interconnected. And I'm not seeing that from the Biden White House right now. I think their recipe is say what you got to say about Israel, but kind of try to ignore that Mm -hmm. and play up all the other stuff. And that should be enough. It's not. Mm. You got to talk about all of it and you have to talk about it quickly because people just won't show up for you. They don't have to show up for you. Yeah. Again, we can't understate in the meantime, you know, obviously the election and all this is going on. Thousands and thousands of people have been killed. And I was, you know, watching like a disability rights activist who had just got back from Gaza. And she was like, this is a mass disabling event. She was like, I think she said for every one child that's been killed, three children have been disabled. The the implications and the tragedy of this can't be understated. And so, I mean, Mm -hmm. I would just hope just based on your humanity, you would want to take this crisis more seriously. But sure, let's talk about electability too, if that works for you. We're going to take a break there. <laughs> Super chill episode of Fight Super Chef chill. This week. Oh my gosh. Weaponized pink, darling. Anyway, don't go away. We'll be right back. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than a life policy. It's about the promise and the responsibility that comes with being a new parent. Being there day and night and building a plan for tomorrow, today. For the ones you'll always look out for, trust Amica Life Insurance. Amica, empathy is our best policy. Hey, listeners, I don't know about you, but with everything going on, when I find a real source of joy, but especially a real source of joy brought to us by Black people, I hold on to it with both hands. And one example of that is Abbott Elementary. I love Abbott Elementary and Quinta Brunson's brilliance so much. And so I'm really happy to hear that Pop Culture Happy Hour has a whole episode talking about why the show is so great. NPR has a new collection of podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy and resilience, empowerment, and history. Each episode is a living account of what it means to be Black in America today, told from a Black perspective. From Megan Thee Stallion to shows like Abbott Elementary to the story of stars like Tracy Ellis Ross, as well as moments from history like the women behind the Montgomery bus boycott, there is no limit to the range of NPR. Listen to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. All right, listeners, we are back. And before we end the show, we'd each like to share something that's helping us keep our vibes right this week, especially such a chaotic week for all of us. So to get us going, I want to go with Saeed Jones. So, you know, obviously with both of our segments, thinking about the ways in which, you know, we share multiple identities, race, gender, sex, class, even religion has kind of come to bear on this. So I was I was trying to think of a poem that could somehow give me wisdom as we're dealing with this. And of course, it led me back to Audre Lorde. This poem is titled, Who Said It Was Simple? And I had to look it up. Netics used to be a fast food chain. I have not heard about this, but Mm. she wrote this poem in or published it in 1972. So I think it was a fast food Mm. restaurant chain that was still around at the time. Okay. Who said it was simple? 
There are so many roots to the tree of anger that sometimes the branches shatter before they bear. Sitting in netics, the women rally before they march, discussing the problematic girls they hire to make them free. An almost white counterman passes a waiting brother to serve them first. And the ladies neither notice nor reject the slighter pleasures of their slavery. But I, who am bound by my mirror, as well as my bed, see causes in color as well as sex, and sit here wondering, which me will survive all these liberations? Mm, I love that. There, there's just such wisdom here. And just the, the which me will survive all these liberations, which is to say, we don't get to choose. I'm sorry. It is terribly inconvenient that Black voters also care about things like war or poverty, right? That, that, that we have these other nuances. And I think as well as like the misogyny, you know, that we were talking about in hip hop and music, like, unfortunately, everything's not cookie cutter. We care about more things than is often convenient for the people who want to control us. But at the end of the day, all of me has to survive these liberations. And so I'm going to care mm. about all of the liberations. And I think that's what she was asking of us. Oh, there you go. Oh, word. There you go. Whew. Well, Sam, what about you? I'm going to bring back an oldie but a goodie because I was talking about this movie on another podcast last week. I'm not sure when the episode comes out, but I was on a movie podcast called You Are Good breaking down and looking back at the movie Brokeback Mountain. Oh. oh yeah. You know I I've never it seen it? Should I oh, watch it for the first really? time? Beautiful. You've never it's seen beautiful. it? I was like, this is straight oh people's God. business. I was pretty radical at no, this point when it came to movie it's... watching. <laughs> I will tell you all the story at some point, but Brokeback Mountain was how I started to come out to my mother. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. But, you know, everything everyone says about this film is right. It's gorgeous. Directed by Ang Lee, genius director. Cinematic views of these landscapes. Heath Ledger is delivering one of the most subdued yet strong performances of the last quarter century. And really what makes the movie sing for me are the performances from the women in the mm. film. A young Anne Hathaway and a young Michelle Williams. They don't get nearly enough screen time, but when they're there, it is visceral. Mm -hmm. There's a scene towards the end where Michelle Williams' character is at the kitchen sink, quietly whispering, reading Heath Ledger the riot act. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh my God, this is genius. This is brilliant. She deserves all the flowers. Same for Anne Hathaway. So yeah, that's my pick. Okay. Brokeback Mountain is definitely a film from a different era. It moves very slowly. There are moments of prolonged silence. There isn't that much music, even though I remember the music from the film. It makes you stop and pay attention, and it's very quiet and deliberate. Go see it. Also, never forget, this film was robbed of its Best Picture Oscar, because that's the year that Crash won. Oh, no. Oh, that's so embarrassing. Remember that? Remember yeah. that? That's so yeah. embarrassing. Anyway, watch Brokeback Mountain. Okay. It's good. It's great, and it's also based off a short story, if you want to read the story right. first. Yeah. All right. So mine, to close us out, I spent my fever dreams with Sofia Vergara on Netflix with her new show, limited series, Griselda, which is incredible. And mm. I won't ruin it for you, but it's about Griselda Blanco, the very famous um, drug cartel. Running that yayo. It's amazing. And it's really Sofia fighting for her life to remind us that she is an actor of the highest regard. And it's just really it's wonderful, 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 wonderful. Okay. I feel bad that she feels the need to remind us. I've always thought she yeah. was great. So I have begun watching it, Zach, based on your recommendation. And they come in hot. I love it. It starts it's on fire. It's, <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Okay, Sophia. All right. Well, that's what we're feeling this week. What about you? Let us know by emailing us at vibecheckatcitra.com. Listeners, thank you so much for checking out this week's episode of Vibe Check. If you love the show and want to support us, make sure to follow this show on your favorite podcast listening platform. Make sure to subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. And most importantly, IRL, tell a friend about the show. It works. Get up in their face. Let them smell your breath. <laughs> While you say listen to five. Take a mint first. Take a mint first. Yes. But this yes. is this is true. It's like listen, we're in the like the last stretch of January. So you gotta get your ready. What do you mean? You're not listening to Vibe Check during Black mm -hmm. History Month? You gotta Come on. practice. Practice. Yes. Okay. 
Um, yes. A huge thank you to our producer, Chantel Holder, engineer Sam Kiefer, and Marcus Holm for our theme music and sound design. Also, special thanks to our executive producers, Nora Ritchie at Stitcher and Brandon Sharp from Agenda Management and Production. And again, we want to hear from you. Don't forget, you can always email us at vibecheck at stitcher.com and keep in touch with us on Instagram at Zach Staff, at Sam Sanders, and at The Ferocity. Use the hashtag vibecheckpod. All right, loves, stay tuned for a very special episode of Hey Sis. Our series starts off next week on Monday. But until then, bye. Bye. Stitcher. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than a life policy. It's about the promise and the responsibility that comes with being a new parent. Being there day and night. And building a plan for tomorrow, today. For the ones you'll always look out for, trust Amica Life Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.